from legendary locals we all know to people you should get to know. Follow Ipswich Today on your favourite app and never miss an episode or go to ipswichtoday.com.au Coming up, will the SeaWorld chopper tragedy affect the future of tourism aviation? Retired Ipswich helicopter pilot Mike Jarvis has many years of first-hand experience in tourism. He gives his take on what the future might look like and explains the view from the pilot seat. It's Thursday, January 5, 2023, and I'm Alan Roebuck. Welcome to Ipswich Today, which acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which it is produced and pays respects to elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. The tragic accident involving two SeaWorld helicopters on January 2nd continues to make headlines around the world. I've asked Captain Mike Jarvis, the owner and chief pilot who used to operate Ipswich Region Company Pterodactyl Helicopters for 12 years, to join the show. Not so much to go over what we already know to this point, but what it means more broadly for tourism aviation in the future. Thanks for speaking with Ipswich today, Mike. That's my pleasure. Uh, I won't go into details about what I think might have happened in the accident. That's the job of the NTSB. Um, I have my theories, but um, I don't have all the information, so I can't make any comments on that. That's fair enough. I'd like to also offer condolences to the loved ones who've lost family and friends in this tragic accident. One aviation expert is reported today saying it could be years before a final report is released. Should it take that long? And what do you think is a reasonable time frame? Oh, look, I've, accidents do take a while to evaluate because there's so much there's so much data to um, to look at and putting it in the context of how things happened on the day. I would have thought 12, 18 months max, but they'll have a preliminary report should come out you know earlier than that just to give a rough idea of where they're sitting. The um, the report for the 182 accident that where a friend of mine did die um, at Fernvale, it came out in a timely fashion. Um, so I don't see uh, any reason why this one would be much longer. But um, but I'm not the NTSB, so only they will know, and they've got they've got all the information. We started off by saying that yes, it is a tragedy, and mm. uh, especially for those um, family members and people that died, but also the people that survived and those. Uh, first responders on the ground who had to deal with a confronting scene and do the best they can in, in difficult circumstances. I feel for them and their families because they will never unsee that, which is a bit unfortunate. And then extending on that, Alan, you have the um, other pilots and crew on the ground with uh, from the company and um, and then it goes, it, it extends way beyond that because it'll be every pilot that logged that strapped on a helicopter the next day would be thinking to themselves, I'm thank, thank Christ it wasn't me. And also, what can they do to make sure something like this doesn't happen to them? So heightening their expectations of what's going to happen in their job, which is something they're doing every day. And their families as well. Yeah, yeah. You've just confirmed to me that the aviation community must be feeling a great degree of sadness at the moment, especially helicopter pilots. Did you know any of the crew or do you know any of the current crew? Uh, I didn't know them. I knew of them, but I didn't know them personally. So, um, you know, it's one degree of separation away from people I actually knew. But that doesn't mean, you know, I certainly feel for them and their families and the feelings going through all, all their minds, which will which will go on for years and probably forever. But having having said that, Alan, um, it extends into the 
wider community, every aviation operator and pilot will be thinking about this uh, as well as uh, tourism because a, a tragedy like this, and there's no other way to describe it but as a tragedy, will affect tourism because people that would be looking to do helicopter rides or, or anything or even an aircraft uh, tour, tour ride, uh, especially down the Gold Coast and, and even in Australia, will be thinking, oh, do I really want to do this? Because this could be me. And and we see the effects of that, and, and I did while I was operating pterodactyl, that um, if an incident happens, then you get re- the ramifications of that can extend for weeks and months. But to give you a, to give an example, there are three, and it's all to do with, it's, it's media, um, and there are three levels of media. There's the news reporting, which has to be done. There's good media, which uh, we used to get a lot of um, when we, you know, showcased our, our tours and operations and people that flew with us. Uh, and then there's bad media, which put out information that's incorrect or at an appropriate time. And an example of that would have been, uh, I can't remember the year, but um, 60 Minutes put out a thing about Robinson helicopters having bodgy fuel tanks. And by the time that that report went to air, Every single helicopter um, had been fixed. Uh, an AD was put out and had been fixed and been fixed for months. Those that weren't fixed were not allowed to fly. That put doubt in people's mind about doing flights. And I was always answering questions about, oh, your fuel tank stunts. It wouldn't be flying if they weren't. Your LinkedIn profile describes you as a semi-retired helicopter pilot. How many years have you been flying? Uh, all up, it was, oh, I don't know, about 35 years, uh, and 20 of those were commercial. Um, so, and the last 12 was running um, was running pterodactyl helicopters before we sold it to elite helicopters. And they're still operating, and, and um, I'm not quite sure how well they're doing. As far as semi-retired, I could jump in a chopper again, but and my trade embargo is just finished, but I have no desire. And this incident has certainly thought, well, you know, I've survived 35 years and I'm still here. I might just quit while I'm ahead. How would you describe helicopter safety in general compared to other modes of transport? I'd say it was as, as good, if not better, than any other mode of transport. The amount of regulations involved in, in keeping a helicopter in the air and pilots uh, licensed and um, and able to fly them is certainly uh, second second to none. I mean, all the stuff we've got to go through as pilots in order to fly uh, commercial operations is um, is uh, unbelievable. You know, and, and the amount of money it costs us as pilots to maintain that is um, is quite high. So, and pilots are generally. 99.99% of the time, totally motivated to do a really good job because this is what they love doing and they certainly won't be doing anything to um, to jeopardise uh, their love of, um, of the industry. Captain Mike, can you take us inside the cockpit of a chopper for a minute? Describe to us what's the most critical time for the pilot from takeoff to landing. Like any aviation operation, the two, the two most critical components would be taking off and landing. Taking off, the landing is probably the most difficult because you've got a lot of things to concentrate on, reducing your airspeed, getting your glide slope right, making sure you're aiming for the pad, making sure that everything's clear on the pad, making sure your passengers aren't talking too much so that you can concentrate on doing your job, uh, and a visual reference across the airspace around you so that nothing's going to come up and surprise you. But having said that, you're very busy. You just have to do what you do. And, not, and you know, like... I think the last serious helicopter accident was like 30 years ago, and you know, obviously, that what we've been trained to do is um, is is certainly working. If I can change the mood slightly now, Captain Mike, in retirement, you've become an author, recently <laughs> yeah. publishing. 
The World According to Captain Mike. What prompted you to move from pilot to author? Over the years, because I've run a number of companies, um, the helicopter was the last one, but uh, all of them were successful. And, and I always had this notion that if you go to work, it doesn't mean it has to be hard. It can be fun. And if you make work fun and make it so that people want to come to work, then you're going to get the best out of your people. And that's how I used to operate all of them. And they're all very successful. And so over the years, I, I do that with, um, you know, funny quips and, you know, taking the piss out of people. And from years ago, I started writing them down right back from 1985. I just jotted them in a little notebook. And then when I had some time on my hands, I thought, oh, I was. I started out writing a book about how to, how to um, – deliver awesome customer service and that and I've got all the stuff for that. And that but this was easy because I had everything in place all I needed to do was compile it uh, find a publisher and um, and then get it out there the, the compiling it took three years finding the publisher and getting it out there took about three weeks once I knew what to do because it was an area I'd never been involved in and so I had no idea like when I got into tourism I had no idea about tourism either and by asking the right people and surrounding yourself with clever people that know what they're doing you uh, you tend to make can make a success out of things. Can you give us a couple of your favourite quips from the book? Uh, oh, yeah, I said I had a, <laughs> I had a secretary. This is years and years ago. Anyway, she said something particularly stupid, and I said, "You know, Shelley, everyone is born with intelligence. However, for you, it's an untapped resource." <laughs> and then she tipped a glass of water over me. <laughs> So, so you know, she took it in good in good humour, and uh, and and I took the glass of water. <laughs> I must I must have appeared thirsty. I don't know. Yeah. What about another one? I like to work smart, not hard, because working uh, smarter gets you there quicker. Mike, you said you didn't know anything about publishing, but you were able to uncover a method of self-publishing quite quickly. Is that uh, easy to do? And is it published physically published in Australia? Yes, the internet is such a cool tool. And I've got, I was going to self-publish and just do all the steps myself and it just seemed like too hard. So I thought, well, I'm going to look on the internet and find out if there is a, if there are companies around that will take your book and take you through the processes and, and, and publish it. And uh, sure, I found three or four, but I particularly wanted, I would like to have had one in Queensland, but I couldn't find one. So I got one in New South Wales, so at least it's Australian-based and not international because I'm all about, you know, doing stuff locally. And I found this crowd called uh, IndieMosh, and they were absolutely brilliant. They took me step by step through the whole process, told me what I was going to need to do, and then and then I just started doing these things and completing it. They did the editing and created the covers and did all the ISBNs and then uh, helped me um, pull that. A lot of stuff didn't quite make it, Alan, and um, because they were a bit naughty. Mm. <laughs> and so um, we ended up with something about 110 uh, quotes and statements and things I've made over the years. And then they did all the work to put it up onto Amazon and Indie Books and um, Smart Words and Angus and Robertson. So they did all that work for me. All I had to do was do my bit, submit it to them, and now people can buy it across worldwide. Um, we made a bestseller month for the first month it was released. I think we sold about of 50 copies worldwide and I was quite surprised that um, 10 in Poland, um, 15 in France, 2 in Canada, 2 in the United States and about 4 in the UK uh, and the rest were done uh, locally when I haven't got feedback from Amazon or anything yet, that's through, just through their bookshop uh, and so I was quite quite chuffed about that. I wasn't expecting it to um, 
to do when he loses something. I wanted to do, put it out there, see how it goes, stick my foot in the water, and then if it if it looked like it worked and it was relatively inexpensive, then I go on to do the uh, How to Deliver Awesome Customer Service, which is a more serious book. And my daughter wants to do one about pterodactyl and my journey with pterodactyl, but talking through the eyes of customers and collaborators because we were really big on collaborating with everybody. You know, what we did was just a collaboration of all the other stuff and we were just we were just the hook that got them all together. So she wanted to do that book as well. So that'll come out in the next year or so, I suppose. The internet's an amazing place, that is for sure. Oh, Captain Mike yeah. Jarvis, really appreciate your insights and uh, all the best for 2023. Thanks for speaking with Ipswich today. Thanks, Alan. Nice talking to you again. Ipswich Today is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. This podcast is also listener-supported. Please make a once-only gift or regular donation to help keep it online. Just go to ipswichtoday.com.au and click the Donate button on the homepage to make a payment through PayPal. Follow and stream this podcast from your favourite app, including iHeartRadio and Amazon Music. Or play Ipswich Today on smart speakers. Music is supplied by Purple Planet Music. This is Alan Roebuck. Thank you for listening. Enjoying Ipswich today? Please share the love on your socials.